If you would please uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 14, where we'll continue where we left off uh, last week. As many of you know, as, uh, as we get started here and opening up the word to the book of Exodus, uh, many of you know that Exodus is my favorite book. And so I'm excited to share the, the teaching here today with you as we continue to go here. And we will take Exodus chapter 14. Now, the ten plagues of judgment has come upon the Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, which drove the Israelites out of Egypt just as God had planned, just as God had said would happen. That he prophesied, he said, God said, and he promised this would happen, and it happened. Now, as we take a look at last week, we took chapter 13, after the Israelites had, had, had traveled some days camping on the way across the land there toward Canaan, they started at Ramses, if you remember, in Egypt, the land of Goshen, where they were living. They had moved then into Succoth, which is across that northern part of the, the Gulf of Suez, which is part of the Red Sea. It was just across that land there, going in, and now they find themselves traveling across that Sinai Peninsula, and they're going to be camping at their third, that next spot, which is Etham, as they go across that desert wilderness land. And we saw at the end of chapter 13, verse 20, that they were at Etham, at the edge of the wilderness, and now we see in chapter 14, verse 1, and now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn, and camp before Piharoth, before Migdal and the sea, and opposite of Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. Now the Lord speaks to Moses here and gives a new direction for his people to obey and to move. So as they were going, they're following the Lord as we saw last week. And as they continue following the Lord, the Lord directs the path of the people that he's taking across to the promised land. And as they come to this point there in Etham, then we, we see that God tells Moses, it's time we're going to change direction of taking the people and they turn. And as the Israelites continue to follow, they made the turn. They are following along, going as a people following their leader here. So God was directing and controlling their steps. They were directing and controlling, and they will, and they find themselves in the will of God by doing this. And it's important to remember that. As God turns and moves you, as he is moving the Israelites, they were in the will of God at this point in time and still is. In verse 3, for Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land and the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. And they did so. So we find here as as the Lord is speaking to Moses, he's kind of giving them a play, a head of play of like, this is how it's going to play out here. I'm going to turn the people. You're going to lead the people in this direction. We're going to this, this new part of the land, and you're going to sit there. And as we come and camp by this sea, 
what's going to cause is Pharaoh to take and see, probably through his scouts, of knowing that they're going to look and say, these children of Israel are... Are, be, are bewildered, they're confused, they're just wandering in the wilderness, they have no idea what they're doing, they're just slaves, they're just, they just they have no idea what they're doing. That's what God is telling Moses was going to play it out. But he says, it's part of my plan. Because at the very end in verse 4, in verse four there, he's going to say that the Egyptians, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, all of his army, is going to know that he is Jehovah. There's no, going to be no question in their mind. You would think after the ten plagues they would already know this. But God knows it's going to take another judgment to bring about them to know that he is the Lord. And so God knew Pharaoh. He knew what he was dealing with and who he was dealing with in his, in, in his people. And he knew that Pharaoh was going to look to look for an opportunity to try to enslave his people, enslave God's people once again. He was going to look for an opportunity to catch them when they're not looking. Or catch them when they find themselves trapped in a situation of life at that moment. And God would demonstrate his awesome power through another great judgment there by the sea. In verse 5, now it was told the king of Egypt. Now we're going to see it play out here, actually in real time here. He says, now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? So you can see the scenario here. The people are coming in. His servants is entrusted in her circle and the people. And they're like, King, are you? we're crazy. Are you kidding me? Our economy is wrecked. There's, there's problems all over the land. Everything's been destituted over because of these 10 plagues. And we're sitting here and letting these people go. They were our free labor. They were slave labor. How are we going to rebuild our economy? We're going to have to work now while these people are gone. We should have never let these people go. Are we crazy here? But that is what God's plan was. Pharaoh and his servants were just asking the most ridiculous question they could be asking themselves at this point. You would think, why would they ask this question? You would think they would quickly go back to the ten plagues that they just went through and were, death, were completely destroyed based on those. And now they're questioning because their economy's gone, because of their health is gone, because they don't have the livestock they used to have, they don't have the lifestyle they used to have, they feel restricted because now what are they going to do? And now they completely forget the past, they completely forget what God has done because of the judgment upon them. They're going to go right back to their old ways and try to re, uh, reestablish what they had before versus changing and realizing the path they were on was wrong. But this demonstrates how, how quick we can forget what God has done and demonstrated in our own life. How quickly we can go back to think it was better in the past. Maybe perhaps Pharaoh thought, oh, you know, God's power in, in, in this God that they follow is limited in somehow. That he's used up all of his bag of tricks on us, and, and this is it. What, how could it get any worse than what we've dealt with? We just lost our firstborn. How could it get any worse? <laughs> hey, well, yeah, we're going to find out very quickly here today how 
how much worse it can be. But they find themselves in a very interesting dilemma as a nation there in Egypt. Now this is an analogy also to a spiritual life. We sometimes think that Satan will let you go, that God is going to, has saved you and has released you and out of that bondage and brought you out and you immediately as a believer think, oh, Satan's not going to mess with me now. We're no longer in his grip, we're in God's grip. Who can touch us? We think once we leave this worldly kingdom that we were following, that Satan somehow will forget us. But just like Pharaoh, he's turning around, he's coming back after Israel, we will see. And Satan pursues us as well, attempting to keep us at least, even though he cannot get us back because we're in the, the secured hands of our Lord. It doesn't mean that Satan doesn't want us to get as close to the fringements or back to those close to his domain as possible, go back to the old ways as possible, go back to the old land as possible to hinder us from doing what God has set us free to go and do. Satan would love to destroy our witness. Would love to, to get us in such fear that we would be paralyzed or we would run from doing what God's will is, and that is to continue to follow to the promised land. We are going home to heaven one day. Soon and very soon. But Satan would want us to get our eyes back on the world and the situation and not on the promises of God and where he's taking us. In verse 6, so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his, and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea, besides Pihiroth, before Baal of Zephon. So we see here that now Pharaoh said, okay, let's just let's go with the forces. We have a great army. We can take on this, this situation. We can take control. We'll get them back. We'll re-enslave them. Get my chariot. Matter of fact, not only get my chariot, but get a hold of the 600 of choice chariots and let's get them all set with the horsemen and the foot soldiers and we're going to get them all together and we're going after them. Now the historian Josephus says there was approximately 50,000 horsemen and chariots and 200,000 foot soldiers that went out to go against God's people. Now remember, we're dealing with two to two and a half, three million Israelites going across the desert. And they round up with force of 250 of the trained soldiers. Now remember, the chariots in those times were like our tanks today. Very high tech. Very. If you had those chariots and those mighty horses, you could just blow out any foot, any enemy that would do or any foe that you would like to take out 
But Pharaoh and his people came to the realization that as Moses repeated multiple times that the Lord told Moses to tell Pharaoh, just three-day journey, let us go out and worship our Lord. Three days journey, three days journey. And they've come to realize that Pharaoh and his people understood that the Israelites' departure was not temporary, but it was going to be uh, forevermore. They weren't coming back. And so he was not liking the fact that this free labor, this, this lifestyle that they were enjoying from the, on the backs of the bondage of God's people, they were going to go and form the, these chariots and these troops and they're going to catch up to the Israelites and they're going to force them back to the land of Egypt. In verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the, the, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That sinking feeling of fear kind of just hit the gut of the people camping out there by the sea. They took their eyes and, and remember they were at boldness going out. They were just following the Lord. They were just being led by this massive cloud, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God through the desert, protecting them by, by the day from the sun and protecting them and leading them and the fire that was coming and warming them and lighting their paths as they were traveling across. All of that was right in front of them. All of that was covering them. All of that was with, with them. But they took their eyes off of God and what he has done for them and bringing them out of bondage and taking them to the process. They put their eyes on the situation and that was there was an enemy that was coming and coming down upon them very quickly. It wasn't a question if this enemy was going to catch them. Their fear was that the enemy would catch them. All they could see is that this mighty army, this mighty enemy was coming down and it was sweeping across the land and it was coming right for them. And they found themselves trapped. They found themselves by the sea in a position that God had led them to. And it seems like God led Israel into this seemingly trap. But there was no way to escape because the water was on one side, the sea was on one side, the mountain ranges in the areas of can't go left, can't go right. They were led to a place where here comes the army and they were trapping them in between the water, bodies of waters and such, and there was no place for them to run. They were helpless. There was uncertainty. There was probably chaos in the camp. But they did the right thing. If you notice in the end of verse 10, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The people did the right thing. And we find ourselves in dangerous places with no easy escape, no solution to get out of the situation that we find ourselves in today. But we must cry out to God. We see in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Is God your helper? Is he your protector? Is he your strength this day? Have you cried out to him in the situations you find yourself in today? The panic of the people is setting in. 
They're thinking of all the terrible circumstances and scenarios that could happen in their life. And what are we going to do? We're going to die. There is no apparent solution. And then in verse 11, then they said to Moses, because there, was, there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? <laughs> so now they're not only cry out to God, then all of a sudden they turn and they shift their blame away and they put it right square on the leader, Moses. And you can see great sarcasm. There's a tremendous sass going on right here, sitting there. What are you doing? You think there's not enough graves in Egypt for us to all die? You had to take us out here to die and bury us here? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? And I love, here's what, it, so common statement in verse 12. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying? Didn't I tell you so? That, didn't I tell you this would happen? Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than, we, than that we should die in the wilderness. If you remember, that's what they said in one of the excuses why they can't do what God was telling them to do. They're like, it'd be better for us to stay right here. I'm more comfortable with my, old li my current lifestyle and I I'm comfortable with my, the situation I find myself in. Um, and I think it's safer. Again, shifting blame. They're blaming Moses. They're blaming. They forgot that God is the one doing all this. Moses was just, the, was just the, the, the vehicle, the vessel that God was using to communicate God's will for the people. But their fear and their cry to the Lord certainly made sense in the situation they found themselves in. There's no doubt there should have been fear coming upon themselves when they see themselves trapped and not to, that they might die. It's true and it's real that they could cry out to the Lord and, and cry out and say, oh, what is going to happen here? What, why did this happen? How could this happen? Why could you have led this here? But their words to Moses showed their little faith that they had. Their shifting of their blame and, and telling, I told you so moments, is a show of lack of faith, a little faith. They lost confidence in their God who had just redeemed them and saved them. All they had is this whole lot of sarcasm coming out of their flesh. And they forgotten that God had done and what he had done through those ten plagues to free them. That God had set them free. God had redeemed them. That they were now following the Lord. They're on a new path. They're no longer looking, going to look back. And as ne but now this trial, this test comes into their life and they immediately blame anyone they can look to. In this case, the, nation, the leader of the nation, Moses. But they need to, to be continuing in trusting the Lord who is in control. That's what they should do. No reasonable mind could ever think as they look and read and see what was taking place that the leader of this nation, Moses, planned all of this, had, made, had this all happen, was going to cause the people of Israel to, to become you know, to their deaths in the, in the wilderness. Moses has said nothing, has done nothing, 
at all to support any of these accusations that are coming against him. But that's what, exactly what happens when people are in fear and they can't grab a hold of, the, of someone to blame. They'll always turn on the leader. And they'll always turn to them and make accusations, false accusations that are just not real. And they even said, let us go back and let us serve the Egyptians. They want to go back into bondage. They haven't even been out of Egypt for a week yet. They haven't just been a week. They just got redeemed. They just got saved. And they're already going back, wanting to go back to the old lifestyle. They already had distorted in their minds of what their past used to look like. Thinking it was better back in Egypt. You remember, the food is better. The leeks are better. Oh, this is much better. Wait, we got to go back. But that's what happens when you forget God's promises and what he had done to redeem you, to save you, and to set you free. You start imagining The worst possible scenario when you see things are not going so smoothly in life, not going according to the way you think it should go, the fact that you think you're going to die, you're losing hope, and these Jews, these Israelites, they, they thought they were going to die, so they turned to fear, they turned to discouragement and disappointment. And they become very unhappy. They become unhappy with their life. They become unhappy with the situation. They become unhappy with everyone around them. But they come unhappy with the Lord's will for their life. They become very unhappy to the Lord's ways of working in your life. And so you stop, they stop trusting the Lord. And they started complaining about their trial. But we must remember, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 13, and now Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Now, it's, I love this part here. I do and I don't, right? So here's the people. They're coming to Moses. They're, they're absolutely in fear. They don't know what to do. They're discouraged. They're disappointed. This is not how it's supposed to play out. I had a good life, and now everything is in turmoil. I don't know how I'm going to live. I don't, know, I don't have a job. I don't have... It goes on and on, right? And here they come to Moses, and Moses is going to give counsel, godly counsel to them, and immediately, what are they going to do? <laughs> you can't... It's amazing when you watch read the scriptures. They're going to do like a lot of us do. When God is using someone to give you godly counsel, you say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the godly thing. Don't give me, don't give me scripture. I don't want to read another scripture on, on Facebook again. I just want solutions here, man. I want to back my old life back the way I had. <laughs> so we see. So Moses is going to give some commandments or this counseling. He says, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. 
The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. This is a tremendous verses right here for you and I today. Since we're looking and facing a pestilence, a pandemic across the world, that to plagues has swept through Egypt, we see the army, the enemy coming to sweep across the, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites here in the, in the, by the sea in the wilderness. And the first counseling, the first commandment that Moses tell them, do not be afraid. I understand you don't have toilet paper. I understand you don't have coffee. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> but at this point, Moses had no idea how God would help them in this life-threatening situations they find themselves in. All he knew was God was certainly would help them. And he was going to be faithful in helping them to meet their need. God was with them. The Shekinah glory, the cloud, that massive cloud in the fire covered the people. God was with them. And Moses knew he was in such a bad situation that God had to come through because God is faithful. God had given them promises they were going to take them to the promised land. God said he would protect them. God said he would never leave them nor forsake them. Deuteronomy 31.8 and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Because he understands us. He understands when we are finding ourselves in these life-death situations, these life-threatening situations, that fear can set in. And fear is going to take a couple of paths for some people. It could, you could be a person who has fear and it will just con, you'll just want to take control and you're going to run and you're going to go do what you want to do. But you, some can go into fear and they get paralyzed and they get absolutely paralyzed and they stop. They can't do anything. They, don't even, they can't even function in the basics of, uh, of life. But fear is contagious. Once fear is stimulated within the people, it can spread along the people very quickly. And people can be quickly placed in this fear by this serious situation and spread and affect the people and cause the people to scatter, become disorganized and dis dysfunctional or completely paralyzed and curl up in a ball and lay in bed and, and be depressed. But faith is also contagious. Faith is contagious as well when we see that our help comes from God. And we are more likely to be found trusting the Lord when you trust in by the faith in God and what he has done and what he can do and will do. But we must be trusting the Lord through these serious situations they find themselves in here by the sea. Now Israel was tempted to flee, but Moses took and said the second thing, a second counseling 
uh, suggestion or commandment, not a suggestion, but commandment he gave them. He says, stand still. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> stand still? Are you kidding me? Do you see the enemy coming? We've got to do something. But Moses told the people of Israel to stop. Just stop. Breathe. And this often is what the Lord says for us. This is often the Lord's direction to a believer in times of crisis. Don't be afraid. Stand still. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 46.10 But why stand? Because in the scriptures we know that we need to stand firm. We need to be Faithful in what God and trusting the Lord and what he's going to do. We, we don't know what he's going to do. Moses didn't know what they were going to do. The people didn't know what they are going to do. But we know that God is going to do it. It's by faith, not by sight. And the reason why he says to stop, just stand still. Why? Because fear will tell you to run. This impulsiveness inside us at times when you're not trusting the Lord, this impulsiveness will tell you to jump into the Red Sea before it is even parted. If you're not standing still and trusting the Lord, then despair will be coming in and they'll cast this, 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 this darkness upon you. This, it will come, this despair will just come over you like a flood. And when that happens, it's so many times in this impatience. The impatience will come in, into play for you in my life. And this impatience will tell you to do something now. Take control. Do it your way. But God says, stand still. But shockingly, Shockingly, the people here came here, at their, they're facing their greatest moment of deliverance by God. The people of God were full of fear and distrust, and they put their eyes on the situation, the enemy that was bearing down upon them, instead of trusting the Lord and what he was going to do. In verse 15, we see that the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. I love this verse because so many times we stay and I'm just going to pray. But here God is saying, Moses, I know when you're in front of the people, you are encouraging the people, you are just showing your leadership, you're showing that you're standing still, you're solid in trusting of the Lord, and you are giving them uh, these, these counseling, these commandments to, to, to not be afraid, to stand still, that God is going to take care of us. But notice here that Moses then must turn away from the, the people, and he starts crying out to the Lord. And the Lord's response to Moses here in verse 15 says, Why are you crying to me? 
tell the children of Israel to go forward. So here Moses is praying. But God is asking Moses, why is, are you crying before the people? You need, you have, you're full of faith. You're full of faith. But now it's time to do. There's a time to pray. And there's a time to do. It can be actually be against God's will to stop doing what he's called you to do. If you say, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to pray, after God's already told you what to do, then you're sinning. You must go do what God's called you to do. And as you're going to do, you continue to communicate, to commune with God. You continue to pray, doing what God's told you to do. So he's, Moses is telling him, go get the people. Tell them to go forward. Go forward? Where am I going forward? There's a sea that way and the enemy that way. What do you mean go forward? I mean, if you really think that through, God is telling him to go forward. Forward into the water? Are you kidding me? We're going to drown. But God said go forward. Because the trial, the people are thinking about going back to Egypt. But God says you do not go back to the old life. You're not going to go back to your sins. You're not going to go back to your sinful ways. You're not going back into bondage. You're not going to go back into the world and live like the world did. God says go forward. Why? Because God is with us. We must go forward. We must continue to be trusting the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And God led these people right there to by the sea. They thought, oh, how could we be trapped? How could we be so foolish? Why did, Pharaoh thinks they're just wandering. They're aimlessly because they have no idea what to do out there in the wilderness. Let's go get them and bring them back into bondage. But they forgot that God is in control. So what is it that Moses was supposed to do? He's been praying. He's crying out to him. And God says, no, we have to go forward. What is he supposed to do? Verse 16, God tells him, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go down on dry ground through the midst of the sea. We know later on as we continue, we see this is the Red Sea. We see that Moses was supposed to lift up the rod in his hand, stretch out his hand. Very simple instructions. It wasn't complex. It was a simple raise your hand up with the rod and watch what God was going to do miraculously through that. Now there's no power in his, Moses' hand or in that rod. It was all God doing the work. But look what happens here. When he sits there and he lifts up that rod, he lifts up that hand, and all of a sudden the sea is going to divide, it's going to part, and we're going to see that the children of Israel are going to be able to walk across that sea on dry ground. Amazing. 
Verse 17, it says, I indeed have will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. God is saying, these people are so hard-hearted. They're so, they're so prideful. They have so desire to, to keep what they want. That God says, I am going to take all of what they think and they rely upon. Their force, their army, their power, their, their, them as a name. God says, watch this. I am going to be honored over all of that army power that they have. And I am going to take care of the situation finally, once and for all. Verse 18, then the Egyptians shall know that I am Jehovah. I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So we see here that God was not finished answering Pharaoh's question that he first asked back in Exodus chapter 5, verse, verse 2. When Pharaoh asked, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? He still didn't get it, did he? Even after the ten plagues, he still didn't get how powerful our God is. And he will. In this last judgment at the Red Sea. Now God is going to use this miracle of parting the Red Sea to speak to Egypt in such a way that it will be without a doubt that God is God Almighty. Look at verse 19, and the, the angel of, the, of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went beyond them, and the pillar of cloud went from be, before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all that night. So we see here in the scripture in verse 19, the angel of God. Remember the presence of God, the, the Shekinah glory. The Lord Jesus Christ was with them. And he was moving forward, and they were using the cloud and the fire to move them across in their, from camp to camp to camp. Now they find themselves, that God, the angel of God, that, that, which is a name that we see in the Old Testament for the Lord. The angel of God, we see that in the Old Testament. refers to. Now he moves to behind them, and he becomes, he's got their backs. He's going to put a wall of protection between the enemy and his people. God himself is going to be the barrier from the enemy to touch their lives. And he does that and he stood right there behind them. He stood still right there. Now imagine this. You have to think this through here. Imagine they're by the sea. This is not just a little tiny congregation. <laughs> this is... This is two, two and a half, three million Israelites, the Jews, all by the sea on this edge. They said by the calculations, as they're camped and the tents are out, they're probably covering somewhere around 700 square miles. As they're moving in an orderly fashion, as we saw last week, they're probably taking up three to 400 
square miles. This is not some little cloud. This is not some little pillar of light here. We're talking massive cloud of covering the people in the land. That's why, if you remember in, in Joshua, Rahab, when they came in and, and, and they met Rahab, remember what she said? We heard, we heard what God, your God did. They couldn't, no, everyone in that known world knew what God had done and the cloud, the, the presence of God protecting and moving his people. And now they knew and they heard what God did parting the sea miraculously. And they walked across to safety on dry land. The people didn't see that was going to happen. Moses certainly wouldn't have thought that was going to ever happen. They had no idea that was going to be the solution that God was going to give. That was probably the last thing on their mind. But God works in wonderful, mysterious ways. I mean, the mystery of God and, and, and his ways are certainly are not our ways. Any part of the sea. And God protected them. During the whole time, during the whole time at night so that the, the Egyptian soldiers could not come in and wipe out all of the, God's people. And as he, they were moving forward and they're doing this, notice that the cloud, the presence of God, caused darkness to come upon the Egyptians. They were in cloudness. A fog bank so thick came upon them they couldn't see nothing. But that same cloud provided light to God's people. One sees darkness, one sees light. God will separate darkness from light. Jesus Christ will do that. And we see this. And he's going to protect and we're going to, he's going to use this miraculously to keep the camp of the Egyptians away from the camp of Israel. And that he's going to do that. And in, in even the Egyptians have no idea that, that putting them in this darkness would actually kind of protect them and keep them from dying any sooner than they're going to, right? They kept them at bay. But God is going to start moving the people across that, that dry land, across the sea to the other side. And the, the Egyptians are going to follow and come right after him as we will see. So we see here in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. And the waters were a what? A wall. A wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So this wasn't some little... Um, uh, little hedge this wasn't this wasn't a little tiny little um let's part and have just a little bit of water come up and that's all it is we're talking the the red sea where they went was so deep they say that they actually went down into onto the dry land and it must have been a massive wall why because in the hebrew language this word wall is uh kenosis i think or kenonos is a same word we see throughout the old testament including the wall in Jericho and all the places, massive wall, 11 feet, massive, whatever it may be. But we see that there was this massive wall of water. 
Now, many people believe this, 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 this account in the Bible is some, some ancient legend that didn't actually happen. And I, let me encourage you, if you're one of those people who say, ah, this is just a, I don't think that could have happened. And I don't see how that could happen. Just let me encourage you that if you struggle believing this miraculous work of God here to save his people, then you're, you're, you're limited in your understanding of who God is. You don't know your God. You need to go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Go back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you believe God Almighty is the great creator of the heavens and the earth, you won't have a problem the rest of the Bible believing the miraculous work of God. We read Psalm 77, if you remember, and at the end of uh, verses 16 through 20, it describes the scenario. There was lightning, there was thunder, there was all kinds of chaos and stuff that was happening. There was no question that the movement of God and his people across to safety across that Red Sea. And it took great faith for Moses and his people to go across this dry ground of the Red Sea. And can you imagine? Did they see the, the massive wall of water where, the, where the, the fish with the big fish eyes looking through was, a, you know, like a Disney character, you know, movie where the shark is swimming around looking for an opportunity? What did they see? Can you, see, can you imagine the parents with the kids? Kids keep looking forward. Don't look at the, you know, whatever it was, the octopus or whatever's coming at you. God is God's. <laughs> but it must have been an incredible scene. Why? Because they weren't walking across in darkness. They were walking across in light that we see. God led, let the, uh, lit up the path. They could see that God was taking them and directing them, even with the miraculous things that were going on around them that was not touching. He brought the seas up by his mighty wind. And he solidified them to keep the walls in place so that they could come across safely on dry ground. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29, we see it took faith of God's people to cross the Red Sea. It says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So it wasn't a little tiny puddle of water that we're talking about here. If you thought, oh, that massive wall, and, and it, there's no way. It must have been some, some low water covering, and it's no big deal, and the tide went out. Oh, you hear all kinds of crazy things out there. But then it would have been a miraculous thing for having all the chariots and the horsemen and all the soldiers to drown in a little puddle. So that would have been a miracle in itself if that happened. But we know in the scriptures, if you take all the scriptures and we see it in totality, we know in context there was massive wall of water and it was so deep, so deep where they went down into the bottom of the sea. We're not talking they walked on top of the water here. They went down into the sea and down to the, 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 the sea floor and it was dry and they were just absolutely must have been amazed. 
1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2 says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea and all the Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch, that would be about 3 to 6 in the mornings, 3 to 6 a.m., that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Stop right there. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there they are. Here comes the Egyptians pursuing them. God is allowing them to pursue them because the Israelites got on the other side. They're moving on the other side. Here comes the Egyptians down into the, on the base floor. And what happens? All of them are down there and it came to pass. I love, remember how we've seen that over time. It came to pass. It came to pass. It came. And guess what? God sat there right there. God, the Lord himself, looked down upon the army of the Egyptians and he looked through the cloud. Now, can you imagine that look? He looked through the cloud, the pillar of fire in the cloud, and they were tremendously troubled. The army, all these warriors were troubled. I can imagine so. There's no doubt in my mind that they would be troubled by seeing the presence of God revealing himself through that cloud and, and, and fire. And look what God did in 25. Verse 25, he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Didn't God say he would fight for us? Didn't God say he would fight for them? Yes. And he sat there and he did the most simplest of things. He just took their power off their, what they had their power, their, the wheels and their, and their axles, whatever. They just took them out. And they still try to move forward. But they come to the realization. They came to the realization that they better flee because the Lord fights for them. Because they knew there was absolutely no rationalization of why this was happening. Absolutely none. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may go, come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. Depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh and came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. Not one of them. God just simply took off and took off any of their power and abilities to have anything to go forward to attack his people. And then God said, okay, they're all down there. They're all stuck. They're all, you can't do anything. Now let your hand move and let's watch this water come pouring and blasting down upon them and they will take them out. Now, God could have done this miracle without Moses. They could have just sat there and all of a sudden watched and watched the water just roar and just pull up by the wind, the mighty winds, and they just, oh, what is about to happen? But God loves and chooses to use his people 
to reveal his power through them. Because the people had turned against Moses. Moses was the leader that God had appointed over the people. And the people were turning against him. So God was actually restoring that leadership and that, that understanding from the people that God was working in and through Moses and that he was the appointed leader for the people. Because God was using him to communicate and to reveal to the people that this is going to be the work of God and that we must go forward trusting the Lord to be the one who will stretch out the hand and stretch it again to release the water to come down upon these people and wipe out the enemy. And never again after this point do we see Pharaoh and the Egyptians never trouble the, the Israelites again after that. God said, that's it, boom. So Pharaoh may have and his, his wise men and, and everybody might have thought, how could it get any worse than losing your firstborn? They just lost all their lives. But look here now, another act of redemption. Verse 29. But the children of Israel had walked on the dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Oh my goodness, that must have been an incredible scene to see that happen. In verse 31, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord. They had an awe about God. They had a respect of God. They honored God. They feared God, a healthy fear of God, and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. This was confirmation for the people when they saw all of these dead Egyptians floating in the sea, on the seashore. They knew that God had delivered them from the hands of Egypt finally. It's complete. It's done. It's, it's finished. And they have been redeemed. Sometimes the sight of those dead bodies is what they needed to see, that it was dead, it was done. It was no longer coming after them to, for them to feel safe and to continue to move forward. So the Lord made sure there was no question in their mind that God is in control and God was moving forward with his people going forward to the promised land as he said it would happen. Now God delivered Israel out of this impossible circumstances. But he demonstrated his faithfulness. His faithfulness to Israel and to all his people. And it resulted in understanding who God is and they understood and believed in God and, the, and, and, and God's appointed leader Moses here. Now sad part is as we continue in the book of Exodus we will see that they will quickly emotionally shift again and really... Moses is going to have to put up with 40 years in the desert with this, these people constantly going back and forth, going against him. It's, it's, it's going to be quite, God has picked the right man to keep going. It was an amazing leader that God has uh, appointed. But we can say that the deliverance of Passover and the miracle of the Red Sea go together. 
If not for the victory won at the Red Sea, then the redemption of the Passover would have meant nothing. But if they had never made it to the Red Sea, and without the miracle of God's redemption at Passover, again, they would have been lost. And that is true for us. The redemption of the, at the cross of Calvary would mean nothing without the miracle of the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The two works of deliverance must go hand in hand. And this miracle event that we see in the Bible, we have to understand this is our mighty God doing and able to do whatever he needs to do. And however he wants to do it, he will fulfill his will. He will fulfill his promises. He will fulfill his protection of his people and bring them safely home. We have a mighty and wonderful God. So let us go forward today, being equipped, being encouraged, and trusting the Lord. Amen? We must. The question for you, though, But the question for you, have you been redeemed by Jesus Christ personally? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you cried out to your Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the world, the Messiah? Have you cried out to him and confessed your sin? Some of you may have never given your life to Jesus Christ. Today's a day of your salvation. God is working in your heart. He asks you just to confess and to turn your life over to him. And ask him to come into your life and to save you. To redeem you. He's redeemed you. He wants to save you. If you're someone who has given their life to Jesus, but you've walked away, you've drifted away, today is the day you come back. Time is near. The Lord is returning. We're excited. We're looking up. Are you? And I know many of you are walking with the Lord. You're serving the Lord. You're, you're wondering right now, what am I going to do for the Lord? Because I'm not able to serve. I'm in my house. I can't get out. Be prayer warriors. You have a new ministry. Pray for God's people. Pray for our leaders. Pray for the nations. Pray that people will repent of their sins and turn back. And that God will come in and cleanse this nation. Cleanse your life. Pray for your family. Teach your family. Teach your family the word of God. Encourage them by the word of God. That's where you turn to. Trust. Be trusting in the Lord today. Let him, as, he's, as, as we see in the scriptures, he says, hold your peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. Hold on to him tightly today. Amen.